Welcome to our first ever avatar-based edition of the Legal Tech Week uh, Roundtable. Uh, thanks to uh, Nikki Black for suggesting this and uh, to uh, EDRM for allowing us to use their luxurious campus here, as well as to the Monroe County Bar Association for making us part of their uh, solo and small firm conference that's going on. Uh, you're going to just see the back of my head <laughs> for most of this program because I can't figure out another way to do it. Uh, and uh, but you can uh, you will be able to see all the uh, panelists and uh, hopefully be able to hear them as well. So uh, whoops, <laughs> one of our panelists just disappeared. People tend to jump around here. There, is. Molly, you're at the wrong table. Uh, so let's see. Let's introduce ourselves. Uh, Joe Patrice, you want to say hello there? Joe Avatar? I I would love to. Uh, hopefully people can hear me. I, uh, I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I am, uh, this is the, I'm doing two simultaneous virtual avatar-based worlds uh, this week, right now. So I'm comparing and contrasting them. And uh, the other one's 8-bit, so it's a little bit different. Uh, but yeah, no, good to be here. All right. Uh, and uh, yeah, my perspective is a little strange here because I can't zoom in on faces as we're talking. But uh, Nikki, uh, you want to uh, introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Nikki Black. <laughs> I am the legal. I'm just like putting you behind <laughs> my head. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I'm the legal technology evangelist with my case law practice management software. Um, I am the uh, 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 a legal technology journalist. I write for ABA Journal Above the Law. Daily Record in the My Case blog, and I am the one that convinced the Monroe County Bar to do this. Uh, so this is all my fault. <laughs> um, I hope that, and I convinced you guys to do this. So hopefully this goes smoothly today. And um, I am happy to be here. Yeah, and if people haven't noticed as you're watching this, there are little voice bubbles over whoever it is who's speaking because the the faces don't necessarily turn toward the camera or turn toward turn or turn toward me as they're speaking, but there are these little voice bubbles that you'll see, uh, and. Uh, so, uh, Victoria, how about you? Hey, guys, my name is Victoria Hudgens. I'm a reporter for Legal Tech News, where I report about the legal tech space, cybersecurity, how lawyers in-house and outside counsel are using tech. And uh, great. And Steve Embry there across the table from me. Hi, <clears throat> Steve Embry here. I write the blog Tech Law Crossroads about uh, legal innovation, legal technology. I'm also the uh, vice chair of the ABA Law Practice Division. And uh, prior to that, I practiced uh, law for many years. All right. And uh, next to Steve is Molly McDonough. Hi, I'm Molly McDonough. I am a media strategist and consultant based in the Chicago area. I am also a blogger. I focus on access to justice and legal technology and uh, uh, produce the show for Legal Talk Network called the uh, legal talk today and the guy who lost musical chairs in this virtual <laughs> world uh zach warren back there i think this means i get kicked out of the monroe county bar association since i lost musical chairs here um but hey there everybody i'm zach warren i'm the editor-in-chief of legal tech news with alm um you'll also see me in other alm publications like the american lawyer corporate counsel etc all right does anybody want to uh, dance or clap their hands or anything? Good. 
Victoria has the moves. Uh, <laughs> and uh, all right, so this is our table. It's it's uh, uh, we we might take you for a little tour of the campus afterward. It's a little hard to uh, get the size of it from from where we are here, but it's actually a pretty cool thing. There's a whole uh, uh, exhibit hall going on where people can go wander around the exhibit hall, and there are actual people manning the booths in the exhibit hall where we can go in and engage with them. And uh, maybe if we have some time toward the end of the discussion, we can all take a little tour or even a boat ride. Uh, who, wants a, who wants to kick us off with story? Or anybody want else, else want to just con con comment on this uh, platform? Any other thoughts on it? Or, or uh... Nikki, I know you've been a big fan of this. What do you, what do you think of it? Well, <laughs> I was, I'm just super excited because it's, uh, you're not in a Zoom zombie land, you know, it's in, it's interactive. I'm actually a little bit um, tired the way I get at conferences because you do feel like you're actually somewhere talking to people rather than staring at a screen. So it's a different kind of fatigue. Um, but besides that, um, it's a lot of fun. It um, You feel like you've actually gone somewhere and done something, uh, interacted with people, um, laugh a little bit. So, you know, it's not as good as being somewhere in person but it's just a really wonderful break from the norm that we're all existing in right now, I think. So I was super excited that I was able to convince the bar to do this. Um, I was excited at the number of people that uh, actually took the leap and decided to actually attend the conference. And I was really glad you guys agreed to do this today because I think it's just, it's interesting to just try to experiment with new modalities and new formats and uh, why not? We're all writing about legal tech, we may as enjoy tech, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, any, any other thoughts on, on this platform? Anybody else want to comment? Yeah, this is, uh, I think it's it's really a, <clears throat> a pretty cool platform too. And, you know, the thing I like about it is that you, know, you can you can wander around the campus and sort of bump into people and, and have a conversation just like you might if you were really present for uh, a, a live conference. Um, you know, this is the second one of these I've done and, you know, I, I really like them too. Um, the only thing I wish they could do is make our faces look a little more realistic as to what we actually look like. But maybe that's a plus in my case. So I don't know. <laughs> I know it's pretty good, this, Steve. I recognize you right away. Well, I'm the only guy without any hair, so it's pretty easy, Bob. <laughs> Uh, one thing I like too with this, I mean, we've talked so much about Zoom fatigue and how it just gets a little bit tiring, just one Zoom after another after another, and that being a major detriment to a lot of conferences where you normally do have something to shake it up. I, just being in a different physical space for different things that's happening during the event, I think really does help focus you a little bit more. Like right now we're in a conference room, we could head to the soccer field, we could either head to a different conference hall or a different room and just changing what's on your com computer screen a little bit, I think really does help get what you're actually trying to learn here uh, through a little bit better. Yeah, I can, so, you know, yeah, go ahead. You know, it's it's kind of interesting. I was just sitting here thinking, I mean, you, there are four of us or five of us sitting here at this round table and uh, the platform will allow you to change the view. So if we were actually having a meeting uh, to discuss something and Joe was talking, I could I could move my mouth, use my mouse to focus on to look at Joe as he was talking, even though his avatar, I don't think the lips move or anything, but but you could, you know, this could make it for an interesting way to have 
small group meetings and, and sort of real discussions. Yeah, one of the, interesting... the other thing. I... Go ahead, Nikki. Uh, the other thing I just wanted to mention was when I've sat in the main auditorium and listened to people speak yesterday, Heidi Alexander spoke and Jared Korea. Today, Conrad Sam's going to speak. Um, and I'm going to speak as well. But when you're in the audience listening to people speak, it feels like you are rather than that Zoom thing of staring at a screen, you truly feel like you're in an auditorium looking up at someone talking at a podium with those slides behind them. So it truly feels, especially in that context, like you're at a conference listening to um, a presenter. And so in that respect, it's um, a great way to receive information because it feels more natural than the Zoom presentations. Yeah. One of the interesting and things I, about this, this uh, I'm sorry, who's going to, was that Victoria? Yeah, I yeah, it's me, I'm Victoria. Yeah, I was kind of wondering, like, just this is my first time kind of like using these types of avatars for a, a convention. And for me, it feels like I'm a little bit more, maybe because it's so new to me, I'm paying attention to more of like the signs and the vendor things that I see. And I kind of wonder, like, would that help vendors um, when people still aren't comfortable going back to in-person conferences, do they see, do they get a little bit more traction with these types of events? Where it's a little bit hard to just ignore that it's a sign on your screen. Of course, it's still a, a, a image on my screen, but it's kind of like I'm in a world and I'm kind of walking around, and it maybe will force me to like interact with vendors and talk to them, and not just kind of like ignore that they're listed on the side of like a website. So I kind of wonder, like, do vendors see like more traction with these types of events? Yeah, and we're um, uh, exhibiting at this, and I went and talked to the um, someone from my case that was in the booth, and he said that it's uh, was a great experience. Like someone just walked into the booth, and he had a long conversation with him. And um, the way that this conference is set up is, you have to go in order to be entered in the raffles. You have to go to some of the booths, kind of, you know, just like it is in a normal conference. So people actually have to visit the booths if they want to win a raffle ticket. And when they walk into the booths, there's usually a person manning the booth, and they have natural conversations. And so from a vendor's perspective um it, it it is more engaging um and it is a, a it's better it's in some ways it might be better than in person because it's uh you don't feel quite as um intrusive when you walk into the booth or they don't feel like they're dragging you in everyone's just there is a bit of a wall when you're an avatar do you know what i mean you're not looking at someone in the eyes so sometimes it's easier to have conversations and not feel like you're sucked into a conversation you don't want to be in if that makes sense yeah yeah and it's it's the other part about that is you can you can see who else is at the booth, just like you can in a real exhibit hall. So you might walk up and and Joe would be standing there or Bob or whoever that I haven't seen in a while. And I could say, hey, you know, good to see you again, so to speak. And you could have a kind of a conversation that way, uh, which is really, I mean, it is kind of like really being at an exhibit hall. And of course, if you go to a booth and it, there's nobody there but the, but the vendor and you don't really want to, Stop, you can just keep on going. <laughs> yeah, and I, there's uh, the uh, there's some chat going on here. And, and uh, unfortunately, the panelists can't see the chat this week because they are not in the Zoom webinar. Uh, but uh, uh, Kaylee Walstead just made the point in, in the chat here that, yeah, the vendors do get more attention. Uh, people are not trying to avoid eye contact and it levels the playing field and people are just happy to interact with one another virtually. I, I think that's really true. Um, one of the other, I mean, one of, just one of the fascinating things about this whole experience is, is that, uh, again, it's a little hard to see as we're kind of sitting here at the table because we're all in these sort of rigid uh, positions. But as you move around the campus and you see people having, you can see a group of people up ahead of you. And as you 
walk up closer to them, their voices get louder and louder as if you're actually walking up toward them. And then once you get to them, you can engage in conversation with them. And, uh, you know, they see that you've arrived and you can walk away. I mean, this may be uh, typical stuff for people who are used to using like Second Life or something, but I, I don't use Second Life. I, I haven't really experienced that much of it. So I think for a, for a conference, it, it, it just, it's more engaging somehow than a lot of the other uh, kinds of things we've, we've gone through. And there are private, um, there's spots where there's a table with a blue circle around it. And when you go into that, it all the ambient noise disappears and the you and the person inside there or people inside that section I can have a private conversation that nobody outside of the circle can hear. So it all give, also gives you the option to step somewhere and have a private discussion too, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd be interested. I think, Nikki, you attended the, the wine party uh, last yeah. night, maybe. And I'd be interested in your thoughts about that because, you know, so many of these Zoom happy hours, I got to tell you, I find them pretty dreadful. Um, but the one social event I went to at the other conference that used this uh, this platform was a whole lot more fun. I don't know if you you find it that way or not, but uh, I know I did. Well, I um, I helped. Uh, that was one of the things that I did for the conference was I reached out to a Finger Lakes um, wine uh, winery, and then we pre-recorded the video. So I was would ask questions periodically throughout the video and then turn off my Zoom camera while she presented. And so um, once we had that video recorded, we gave it to the bar and they uploaded it to YouTube. And then what happened was they played the video and people ordered wine ahead of time. So they had their wines with them in their kitchens and everyone went and stood on the beach. And then we played the video and um, we, you know, you did the wine tasting in your kitchen um, while the video played. Uh, the only downfall with the format here is um, if you accidentally walk outside of the beach area, there's a big blue line around it and you walk back in, the video starts over. And I kept losing control of my avatar and I accidentally walked up on the stage at one point. I was having issues yesterday. And so I eventually just gave up because I kept accidentally walking out, out of the, jumping off the stage, out of the area, and then I'd come back in and it would start over. So I decided to just watch the video tomorrow, uh, today with my husband when he was around and do our own separate wine tasting since I actually have the video on my computer since she sent it to me. But that was well, you know, difficulties on my part. <laughs> you know, Nikki, it is a symptom of having too much wine tasting when you fall off the stage and wonder. Oh, <laughs> Good point. But, that may have been what was happening. That might have been, that might have been complete user error. <laughs> the social the, the social one I went to at the eDiscovery Day uh, event, which used this, it was really uh, very much like a cocktail party. They had people at various tables or people standing around and you could walk up to a group of people and chat for a little bit then walk up to another group of people and chat for a little bit. And, you know, it was a whole lot more fun than I thought than staring at dozens of people's, you know, watching dozens of people try to, try to drink and look happy on a Zoom virtual happy hour. Well, so should we, uh... Talk about some of the week's stories, <laughs> uh, since uh, that's what we're here for. Um, uh, I don't know anybody wants to kick us off. Uh, uh, Zach, you've had such a, a, a great series going on ALSPs, and, and you've had another one uh, up this week. You want to, especially because you look tired because you're just standing there. Do you, do you want to kick it <laughs> off? And, uh, 
<laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll think about that. Yeah, so a little back background. Law.com, Legal Tech News, the American Lawyer, has had a series called Breaking Traditions since last August, which is trying to dive a little bit deeper into the alternative legal service provider ALSP market and just kind of talk about where they fit in in this whole ecosystem of uh, law firms, outside providers, uh, in-house counsel, et cetera. So a lot of what we've talked about or when we've talked to particularly in-house clients, they've said, yeah, we're interested in these ALSPs because we think that they're innovative. We're just trying to get a feel of where they fit in ourselves and progressively onboard them a little bit more. One story that I thought was interesting, though, that Frank Reddy did this week is kind of got the law firm perspective pushing back on that a little bit and saying, well, it's kind of a perception problem here because everybody views all of these ALSPs and everything they're doing with technology as inherently more innovative than law firms. But when you do that, you're kind of discounting a lot of the innovation that law firms are trying to do themselves. Um, of course, there's consultancies and a lot of law firms have their own ALSPs, but even internally within the law firm themselves, a lot of them are arguing the billable hour model and what our uh, normal lawyers are doing isn't incompatible with innovation. It's just you have to look at innovation on its own and say, okay, we're trying something in a different way here to service you better. That's the ultimate question. Are we servicing you better? Not necessarily are we using all of this latest and greatest technology. Um, so I, I just thought the question of that perception can law firms be as innovative or even more innovative than alsps and are corporate clients in particular really taking that into account um to be interesting because i think it's going to be a topic of conversation as these alsps continue to grow that i think we're going to keep having here in the future yeah i've read that article article two and that that frank wrote and in fact i almost tagged it for what I would mention this, but there was a great quote in there from from a lawyer that said, you know, we're always battling this this preconceived idea that lawyers are there for pure legal advice. Like, I thought that's what we did. <laughs> but uh, but I understand. I mean, I understand the, the point that I think that what person was trying to make is we have these other services that that we can provide that aren't necessarily provided by lawyers. Um, but you know, kind of brings into the question is, you know, how cost effective and efficient can law firms be providing that kind of uh, alternative legal service provider type of work? Um, so, but anyway, yes, yeah, a very interesting series, and uh, I thought that was a pretty pretty cool article Frank did. Well, you certainly have to be a firm of a particular size before you even are going to have the financial means to kind of create your own captive uh, ALSP. I, I think it's certainly not an option that's available to every law firm out there, only the largest firms. Uh, and, and even then, there's probably limits on uh, the extent to which they can, uh, you know, build the kind of an ALSP that's going to be able to handle projects of, of various, you know, scale to pro projects of various sizes uh, from a maybe a, a smaller review product to a huge, uh, you know, remediation project or something like that. Uh, and uh, so uh, there, there are real limits, I think, on law firms' ability to do this kind of stuff. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting looking at it from the other end of the spectrum too, particularly if we all think in the near future law firms are going to be competing with large consultancies, the big four, what have you, then it's a good thing for law firms to be viewed as more than just legal advice, to be viewed as that partner you can come to with any problem, uh, even if it's like from finance or compliance, what have you. Um, so I think from that standpoint, a lot of law firms are saying, yeah, I mean, come to us for these sorts of problems. We'll be innovative. We'll try things in a new way too, so that if they are competing for that work, they're not going to be left in the lurch. Yeah. Because part, part of the problem with law firms as opposed to accounting firms though, is that the, the people providing that kind of non-legal services, at least historically, have never been able to be partners in the in the equity partners or even I guess they can be non-equity partners because they're not really partners, but they haven't been able to do that. So the attraction to talent ability is a little different than say accounting firms where you know those kinds of people providing those kinds of services can indeed be a partner in the firm and can indeed uh, have a un, you know virtually unlimited financial ceiling. So yeah, I, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. Um, you know, the the other problem with the law firms is you know their their overhead has has historically not enabled them to do a lot of that kind of stuff at the kind of price to be competitive with the alternative legal service providers. Although now that so many of us, so many lawyers are working remote and firms are cutting real estate, that could be not so much a barrier anymore. Yeah, Molly, you've been kind of quiet. And if your avatar is tired today, what do you got? What do you get today? Um, sorry, I I, uh, I keep trying to look around and accidentally move, so <laughs> I'm I'm trying to stay put and and not get too curious. Um, so I my <laughs> and I accidentally clapped while I was trying to agree with Zach on one of his points and um, forgot that it actually makes a clapping sound, which we're not used to um, in these platforms. <laughs> So we're not um, just going to start dancing right now? Is that uh, kind of out of the question? totally start dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. What um, so, <laughs> speaking of social platforms, um, I, every, a lot of people are aware of the massive uh, Facebook um, data breach, um, and I've just been... Uh, fascinated that uh, that Facebook is not intending to let the users know or come up with any kind of notification or remediation plan uh, for anybody whose data was put at risk uh, for disclosure. And I, I just, I thought I'd bring it up. I thought it was really, I thought it was interesting. Um, I, I, their position seems to be that that um, the data was is more public than not, and so the the breach. Um, no, I don't even know the the rationale doesn't make sense to me. Uh, so I'm curious what other people think, and uh, it it just seems to fly in the face of all the best practices for data breaches now. Is anybody else struck by that? Well, you know, Zuckerberg's always like he's infamous for way back in the day. Um, saying they're suckers for giving us all this information. Um, I think he's always just kind of felt like you're taking a risk by giving us the information and it's your own fault if something happens. Like, I, I just think that the, and you know, any business or corporation, the top 
you know, the tone is set at the top and it just filters down. And so I just sort of, I agree with you. It's, they're handling it really strangely, but it completely doesn't surprise me given everything that I know about Zuckerberg and his philosophy on that stuff, you know? The other yeah, thing for me is that oh. there there hasn't been, uh, there's been no, usually with a company like this, especially like like a Facebook level breach, there's some kind of plan revealed about, you know, improving security or something. Um, and I'm, I just, I don't see any of that. And I just think that it's a, it's a major issue for the brand. Yeah, I, agree. Yeah, I think, I think Zuckerberg is just really pissed off that somebody stole data that he could have sold. <laughs> well, it, it's weird that we're all worried about Zuckerberg. Cause I, I mean, personally, after I got my second vaccine shot um, and got the uh, Bill Gates implant, it's it, like now I'm more, <laughs> much more concerned about them. Um, and it's weird. I started getting this uncontrollable urge to use Internet Explorer again. I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, it, I, it's a little suspect. So my 5 gs never been better, though. Right. So the only thing that um, Facebook went down for uh, over well, about 15 minutes yesterday and um and there also again very little explanation for that other than a configuration change and the only thing i, I mean that would be typical for a safe so some type of security update uh, or i that's the only other reason i can say um that or i can point to that 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 would happen for such a long period of time for for facebook um, i think it took down their internal systems plus um, the external Facebook, WhatsApp, and uh, Instagram all over the country. Uh, all right. Uh, who wants to go next? Uh, Victoria, you want to talk about your story? Yeah, my story was kind of tech. Um, it's based off of Notre Dame. Um, there was some outrage because law school students that they um, they told uh, prospective law school students that pass and they told them that if you submit your what was it deposit for the uh, law school tuition by a certain date, then okay, they'll hold your spot. But they had more um, deposits than they were expecting. So they closed, um, I think it was, they disconnected, they ended their, uh, was it, they ended their deposits, well, how long they would, Sorry, um, they said some people that were accepted, they weren't allowing them to um, uh, pay for and put down their deposit because they said they had too many applicants. So you have people that were given the okay and said, hey, you were accepted into Notre Dame. They were put on a wait list. And they said it was really, they kind of said like, oh, we weren't expecting so many people to apply to Notre Dame. And a lot of people were upset because they went through the struggle of taking the L um, LSAT, passing the LSAT, and then submitting their deposit before the deadline, but Notre Dame said, oh no, actually we cut it earlier. So they're dealing with that back backlash, and it was kind of interesting because um, with their um, people that were actually um, got accepted into Notre Dame, a lot, they had the highest number of people of color. And it turns out that the people of color that were um, uh, that they were trying to um, pay their deposit last, they were coming close to the deadline. So I kind of wonder, like, 
it's interesting to see how law schools, especially if they're not sure of like, um, are kids going to be applying to their law school, kids and grown adults, if they're going to apply for the law school and just kind of wondering like this wasn't the best tactic to take and just kind of wonder if other law schools are doing the same when they're just thinking like, oh, we had too many people than we expected because of uh, COVID-19, 2020 kind of messed up our, our calculations of the people that we think would be interested in the law school. So I kind of thought it was interesting. It kind of loosely has a tech base because I'm assuming people were paying their deposits and everything online and, you know, just kind of had the um, rug pulled out under you when you get an uh, email from Notre Dame saying, hey, we actually uh, ended our deadline. Steve, uh, what did you have this week? Oh, uh, jumping between yeah, the places here. Uh, there was a really interesting report that came out. Um, and just a little background, uh, the New York uh, court system established a little less than a year ago a commission to uh, reimagine the future of New York's courts. And one of the working groups that was established as part of that was the Future Trials Working Group. Uh, and they came out with a report, and it was a, it was a really interesting report. Uh, they, they focused on, on four things. Um, how how to best evaluate emerging technology uh, for court systems and lawyers that are litigating in the courts. Uh, second, what areas of trial practice might be uh, transformed by technology? And in that, they can had a discussion of what future issues there may be that courts will have to grapple grapple with. You know, what's the impact of the best evidence rule, for example, on some of this technology? And they even included a discussion of um, technology that might be better able to assess whether somebody is lying or not, which, you know, may be a little far-fetched, but it struck me as really interesting that that this commission, this committee was looking at it as, as an issue, and someday it, it may very well be an issue. Uh, they had a lengthy discussion of the, how jury trials might be conducted uh, conducted remotely, um, and they they looked at the issues. Uh, they had some law in there. They cited some cases about constitutional issues, and then they did a little survey of states that uh, have done jury trials remotely and what their the results were. And then the last thing they do is they focused on training for judges. And I thought this was interesting too. They, they cited the ethical obligations of lawyers with respect to technology. And I know we, we talked about that a week or so ago, uh, but then they went on to say, you know, the judges have some duties to keep up with it uh, as well. And so I, it was just a well done report and, and got to a lot of issues that, um, make good reading for for anybody that's interested in litigation and the court system and even for for litigators to, because it brought out some issues that uh if you were going to if you were involved in a remote proceeding in front of the court particularly at, at the jury trial you know some of the things you might want to want to think about they had some recommendations in there for examination such as everybody should have the same background uh, virtual background so that you know, one person's background doesn't look better than the others. And so you certainly kind of, you know, quarrel with some of their conclusions, maybe, or some of their thoughts, really but fewer conclusions than just raising issues. And it was, it was a thought provoking piece. The only, you know, the only thing that, that struck me a little bit about it was, sadly, they had to keep referencing 
you know, if we're going to study this, or we're going to look at this, or we're going to analyze this, we've got to get some some money to do it. I mean, and that, of course, is always kind of a an issue for court systems. But uh, you know, I, I would strongly recommend people taking a look at it and and just reading through. And it's maybe fifty pages, if that. It's got an executive summary and got a lot of reference reference materials. And um, I was impressed by it, to tell you the truth. Yeah, now, what's interesting to me is I, we've talked a ton about is this going to be sustainable post pandemic? And while the jury's still out on that, it sure seems like the intention from a lot of places is to at least put some protocols in place to make it sustainable money, notwithstanding and all of that. Um, so by standardizing some of these things, I think that goes a long way to at least presenting it as an option moving forward um, and what that means and how they allocate what would be remote and what wouldn't I, there's a lot of work to do there but it's a good stepping stone i think at least to start yeah they, they made an interesting point that you know they they said before the pandemic you know courts were saying well maybe we can go from telephonic hearings to video hearings and we'll slowly progress from that to the next step to the next step to the next step and now all of a sudden boom all the steps are, you know, are here and present and, and need to be dealt with. And uh, which was, a, you know, which is true. I mean, it 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 took a, a pandemic, I guess, to to focus courts on this. And sadly, though, I'm I'm not sure other states are quite as focused on this as 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 New York is. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was good, very well done. I congratulate the the working group that did this. You know, the, the New York uh, has done, um, there have been several working groups. I, I'm actually on another one of them for some reason, even though I'm not in New York, but there's one on, on technology in the course that I think is, I think their report is about to come out. Uh, and there was another one we talked about earlier, and I'm trying to remember what that one was about, but it's it's been a, it's been a really uh, forward-looking process, I think, on, on the part of the New York courts to go through this discussions of, of these different issues and, and really try and think through how they should be, uh, what kinds of changes they should be making. Uh, and uh, uh, so it's, it's good to see, it's good to see courts doing that. And I, you also touched on, on an issue uh, that, that's one that I, I think is really important, which is the technology competence of judges. And I, I think I actually wrote an above the law column about this once, but it, it just, it, it makes absolute sense that uh, if, if lawyers are going to be subject to, to a, a duty to be competent in, in technology, uh, by the same token, judges should be competent in technology. And, and maybe it's even more important in some cases that the judges have that degree of competence. And yet, you know, a number of them don't. Uh, and uh, so I, I, I'm glad to see they touched on that. I haven't, I haven't read the report yet, but I look forward to reading it. I, I was just going to add in there was another annual report that's out on uh, from the National Center for State Courts, which has some uh, information about uh, all the work it did over the last year, which was pretty significant in in uh, evaluating uh, how what what has been done so far and really doing a good job documenting documenting uh, best practices and uh, and tests all over the country. Nikki, what about you? Uh, since you're since you seem to be seated for a moment, uh, what, what was your story this week? <laughs> well, so I wrote um, on my uh, 
uh, from our Daily Record article about guess guess Bob. What did I write about? Ethics. I ever write about? Ethics. Ethics. Right. It was <laughs> it was a New Jersey ethics opinion about um, using the reply all function in email. Um, and the inquiring attorney wanted to know that if he sent an email to opposing counsel and CC'd his client, if opposing counsel then replied all, uh, was the opposing counsel violating um, uh, impermissibly communicating with his client without his permission? And um, the court, I or not the court, but the um, committee, I absolutely agreed with the way they approached it and their conclusion. Um, their conclusion was, uh, you know, nicely stated don't be an idiot uh let's look look at the off um offline analogy uh if you um do a phone call a conference call and your clients there and the client um is part of the phone call you are not somehow um uh, you can't do this gotcha with opposing counsel where they are impermissibly communicating with your client so and the same can be said with email um, and but a letter is different, right? If you send a letter and CC the client, when opposing counsel responds, they only respond to you. They don't CC the client. So they analogized an email more like a phone call. And what they said, I liked their language, was that um, lawyers. And I also just appreciate them looking at these offline analogies because that's how you reach the proper conclusion in these situations. Uh, online is not somehow inherently strange and different; and shouldn't be treated differently than offline analogies that fit. And so they said, when lawyers initiate a group email and find it convenient to include their client, they should not then be able to claim an ethics violation if opposing counsel uses reply all. Reply all in a group email should not be an ethics trap for the unwary or a gotcha moment for opposing counsel. The committee finds that lawyers who include their clients' group emails are deemed to have impliedly consented to opposing counsel replying to the entire group, including the lawyer's client. So I just thought it was interesting um, and I appreciated the way that the court approached the problem because I do believe that when you analogize the online to the offline, like I said, rather than um, treating the online as some unique species that has to be addressed differently, you're going to reach um, a proper conclusion and a conclusion that's going to withstand the test of time as new technologies come along. So I just thought it was interesting and um, uh, I, um, I can't share a link to it because I'm not in Zoom, but I think that we sent out an email ahead of time that uh, had links to the articles. Um, I thought it was interesting. I love all these ethical um, ethics decisions to sort of move technology forward a little bit. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, there certainly have been, I mean, you can imagine some situations where a reply all and email could could potentially raise some, some ethics issues. Uh, uh, but uh, it sounds like the, the right outcome in that, in that case. Somebody uh, is ask, asking in the comments whether we can post that NCSC uh, reference that Molly was talking about. And I know Molly's not on the comments, but Jim McMillan is. And uh, perhaps he, Jim, if you're out there, uh, perhaps have a, a reference to that, if you could, if you could post that. Uh, well, I see that you're out there because you're commenting also. Uh, but uh, otherwise we could put this stuff uh, up afterward uh, in the show notes and make it available. Joe, uh, did you have anything this week? I did not. I got to you. I, I got to the uh, the group uh, spreadsheet way too late, and everybody had one, if not two, stories. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to have to sit here and be a quippy guy, um, which I've tried to do. Uh, we'll see. I'm also like moving around my my head, like give some visual movement so that people, uh, but like the video looks like we're real people instead of just kind of sitting there. Yeah. Well, can you can you like dance for us or something anyway? 
Yeah, okay. we, I, I don't know what that was. Okay, uh, yeah, we will put these out in the uh, in in the newsletter afterwards. Uh, the, all the links of stories we're talking about. So uh, stay tuned for that. You'll get an email afterward with all the links. Um, let's see. Did I forget anybody here in terms of uh, stories? I don't think I did. Uh, other than perhaps my, should we walk around? <laughs> well, perhaps myself. I was going to just quickly mention. I mean, the story. I the story I did this week. I just thought it was interesting. Uh, you know. Casey Flaherty uh, left his job at, at Baker McKenzie to join this legal tech collective, uh, Lex Fusion. Um, we've uh, we've actually we talked about this on this show back when it launched. Um, uh, God, back in October, I think it was. Um, and this is this uh, interesting sort of an approach to selling tech to uh, legal companies in which they've uh, essentially created a, a collective of legal tech companies. Uh, and LexFusion is a company that's representing this collective as their so-called go-to-market representative uh, and uh, you know, taking a very sort of low-key consultative, consultative approach to, uh, to uh, technology to kind of going in meeting with you know law firm partners or general counsel and having conversations about what they might need uh, for technology where where they're what they're trying to accomplish where they're trying to get to and and how they can kind of put together solutions that uh, address whatever it is that particular company needs uh, it's the only this lex fusion is the only sort of collective go-to-market collective like this that I'm aware of in the legal market. There may be others, but I'm not aware of it. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was already uh, uh, kind of notable, I think, uh, uh, the, the, the two founders of it, uh, Joe Borstein and Paul Stroker, were already, you know, people who are pretty well known in, in the legal world. And uh, uh, Casey Flaherty uh, is another. I mean, he comes off of being uh, director of legal project management at Baker McKenzie and He's perhaps best known as the uh, developer of the ProCertus technology training, which uh, is uh, the kind of tech competence training that's now in use at a number, a number of uh, uh, corporate legal departments are using it to assess the technological competence of their outside firms. Uh, and a number of law firms are, I mean, a number of law schools are now using it as part of their training. Uh, Casey told me this week that it's something like 100 uh, uh, law schools that are now using that. So, uh, it, you know, just a notable development in the legal tech world, but I think this Lex Fusion model is something that's interesting uh, and worth worth following. Uh, Bob, I thought it was interesting. You know, David Cambria, Jay Um, and Casey Flaherty all went to the, the Baker McKenzie firm and it was kind of a, a, a big deal. And now I think all three of them are gone. Um, I don't know what we what there is to make of that because best I can tell nobody's acting like there's anything um, you know bad about Too that. Yeah. Um, yeah, although I, as you may recall, I commented at the time that that Casey went there. I actually quoted uh, Winston Churchill, who was asked one time, uh, "Sir Winston, are you prepared to meet your maker?" And he said, 
yes, but I'm not sure he's prepared to meet the likes of me. Right. <laughs> so, I, I do remember that. I even quoted you in my podcast when I interviewed, right. uh, right. when I interviewed Casey right. and Jay, I think, uh, on my show. So when I saw that he, when I saw that he was leaving, I sort of, sort of remembered that and, you know, wondered about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Uh, I think that's it. I mean, should we, uh, like for people who are watching, maybe try and take them on a little tour, go for a little walk or something. Uh, I know a lot of yeah. us have to get off right at the time. Sounds great. But, uh, how should we do that? There's... Nikki, you want to uh, lead us and I'll follow you? Yeah. I wanted to mention there's a funny tweet where someone said they logged in late and they thought they were watching you play Sims. <laughs> um, why don't we go to the boat? I feel like that is... Uh... Yeah, like not the, the exhibit hall. The exhibit hall is kind of cool. But oh, okay. let's go to the expo hall. Good idea. Let's go to the yeah. expo hall and meet there then. All right, Good call. And All everybody, right. everybody, stay tuned for our upcoming Twitch, where we just play Warcraft for as a as a team. <laughs> Isn't it like right outside the door here? The exhibit hall. Where are we? No, I guess not. Um, no, well, you, you got to click go to and go to All it. Right. Ready, okay. everyone? Go, right. go to expo hall. Whoops, I'm not there yet. <laughs> oh. Last but not least, not working for me. Or right, there's Bob. All right. Do we have every yes, right. we do. Okay. So You're the right. expo hall is up here to the left, the ent entrance to it, where it says M B MCBA on the over here. Walk this way. <laughs> Um, the my case booth is over here. I think we should go to the my case booth. Let's see. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure if I know where it is. I think it's over here. I thought it was right here. This is here. It is. It's all going to the my case booth. I was in here yesterday looking around. Oh, I was thinking the Cleo. <laughs> are you there? Hi. I know. How are you? Good. We're these are um we're all here. This is the legal tech um journalist roundtable, and we're just finished our roundtable. So people that write for like um. Law.com and James is one of our, um, you're a BDR, right, James? Correct. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Yep. James is one of our BDRs and he's manning our booth. And this is the MyCase booth. We can uh, we can talk to James. <laughs> and then over here, we can actually play our hey, video. James. Hello, how's everyone doing? <laughs> good. You're, you're live on, on this Friday. <laughs> <laughs> and then I won't play the whole video. I'll just show you how it. Um, Have you ever heard of a coffee shop millionaire? You know, the people you see. I don't know why it says monday.com, but okay. <laughs> well, that's kind of strange. Um, YouTube ads, they always get you. Is that what it is? I'm pretty is it sure. YouTube ad? Oh, let's see. Relaxing at the coffee shop. Super and loud. Working on their laptops all day, but then you see them leave and they all drive right, off they in a quarter million dollar YouTube sports car. To, uh, you ever oh, want to know how the they ad. do it? Where's the swag? Well, if go. not, go ahead, skip there. this right, video. So I'm not going to play the whole thing. But if you do want to know, keep watching. In the next 60 seconds, I'm going Okay. So I turned it off. But so this is the um, booth. And so, James, have you had like people stopping by? One thing we were talking about was um, from the vendor perspective, if the benefits of this type of interaction compared to just Zoom. Yeah, most definitely. It feels more uh, organic. It's, it's cool to uh, visually see it uh, comparative to some of the other uh, booths we were doing earlier this earlier year. year. I, I, I really do I, enjoy, I really enjoy this. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Awesome. Well, we just thought we'd uh, 
we were going to go to the expo hall and then now we may go for a boat ride but so i didn't mean to surprise <laughs> you i didn't tell you were coming so <laughs> yeah no i've only been uh I, you know i've been kind of pulling shifts with emma um so it's been a little lonely over here so i'm glad you guys can come and join <laughs> awesome all right so did you guys want to look at another booth or do you want to go for a boat ride what should we do we can do a quick boat Your ride call, bob do a quick boat right. ride. i gotta go in five minutes so uh Let's go to the beach then. Go Thank the you beach. so much, James. Yeah, it's good to see you. <laughs> all right. I don't boat. know if we can all fit in the boat. The boat's right here. Who wants to drive? Uh, do you know how to drive? We can only fit four of us in, so I'll Let's get over here if you want to go. Whoops. Who's coming? Somebody get on that boat with them. There you go, one. Whoops. All right, so Skipper's got his Gilligan. Um, Sometimes it's hard to get in the boat and you have to back up sorry. in order to see the seat. Go. Okay. I think Victoria went for a swim. get the beach ball. I'll be back in a minute. I'm going to kick it over here. Alright. I'm absolutely going to... I'm absolutely going to try to climb that uh, light lighthouse right oh, yeah. now. Alright. Uh, we actually have a couple of questions here. Alright. James, I'll check on the link that Molly has. We'll put that out in the email after the show. Um, all right. Sure. I think Whoops. we I think we need to uh, wrap up here. Uh, okay. Why don't we all go to the entrance and say goodbye? Go to well, we the. Lost um... Joe. Joe's going up the lighthouse. <laughs> Should we just go to the uh, welcome area and say goodbye? All right. That sounds good. So I'll go to the welcome area. Okay. Circle and in one place. <laughs> Whoops. All right. <laughs> Everybody's happy. All right. So that was it. Our first ever virtual avatar Legal Tech Week journalist roundtable and maybe our last ever as well. But uh, it was fun. And uh, thanks again to EDRM for letting us do that. Uh, and uh, I hope everybody got a chance to see what a little bit of what this this is like. Uh, and uh, it, it's kind of fun, but uh, somebody's asking whether the motion seems kind of choppy. Somebody in the comments, it, 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 it's hard. I, I'm so I'm broadcasting, you know, via a Zoom uh, screen share. So it may, it certainly looks smooth when you're in the environment. Uh, and it may be that it's losing something in the broadcast via Zoom, but uh, uh, good for us. So, all right. Thanks, everybody. And, uh, We'll be back again next week with another uh, more uh, normal edition of the Legal Tech Week Roundtable. Thanks to all for participating. Have a nice Friday, everybody. Thanks for humoring me, you guys. Have a great weekend. I'll see you Bye, later. Bye, everyone. Yeah. All right. That, that lighthouse worked. Bye, everybody.